to thank our sponsor, Icarus Originals, who are a British-run company run by two servicemen that create high-quality aviation design cufflinks designed by the aviation community for the aviation community. All of their products are individually cast and handcrafted in the UK using only aircraft material recovered from certifiable sources. You too can own a bit of aviation history with these stunning cufflinks made from Tornado GR4 ZG750 and Tornado F3 ZE734. Make sure you head to their website at IcarusOriginals.com to check out all their amazing products and more. So when did you first become interested in aviation? Uh, I'm like a lot of people here, I think. Um, I've always been interested in aircraft and flying ever since I can remember, since I was a small boy. Uh, I went to a couple of air shows when I was younger. I used to go to Biggin Hill a couple of times. It's not too far from where I grew up. And uh, actually seeing the Red Arrows as well, I think was one of the things that first got me interested in it. And then that interest just carried on through, right through my uh, formative years growing up and then going to university. And it was after I was finished with university that I then applied to the RAF and was lucky enough to get in. Yeah, so what year did you actually join the RAF? I joined in uh, 2006 is when I started my officer training. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us some of the aircraft you started training on? Yeah, so I came straight through training. So at the time it's the Grob Tutor. So I did my uh, elementary flying training on that. From there I was stringing fast jets. Then went on to the Takano and from there the Hawk. We do the um, advanced fast jet training on that and then the attack weapons side of things as well. We learn how to fight the aircraft, fight a jet. Mm -hmm. uh, and initially from there, then I was transfer, uh, streamed to the Tornado GR4, did a couple of years on that, and then following that, I then went through and was transferred over to the Typhoon. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about the GR4. What were your first thoughts on the aircraft? I was very happy to be streamed GR4. Um, going back to one of the things that got me interested in the RAF actually, Aside from air shows, I can still see uh, quite vividly the images of the tornado in Gulf War One, and uh, especially nighttime images uh, and the afterburners coming in, thinking the aircraft looks amazing. So to then be streamed GR4, given that it's such an iconic aircraft as well, uh, I was really looking forward to going and flying, going flying the big, um, going flying it. So can you talk us through some of your ground training on the tornado? Yeah, so all the training for the tornado is done up at RF Lossiemouth. And you do about four or five weeks um, in the classroom and in the simulator, learning the basics about how the aircraft works, how you're going to fly it. A big thing as well is how you're going to work as a crew. Mm -hmm. Because up until that point, most of your flying training really is about a single seat mindset. Clearly, Tornado twin seat. So you need to transfer to how you're then going to interact effectively as a crew and get the most out of each other and the aircraft in that way. Can you talk us through your first flight in the Tornado? Yeah, um, so my first flight, um, you do it with two pilots because at the time I was okay. no longer in yeah. service. Uh, but there's a number of twin stickers, so you control it from the front and the back. And uh, I remember one of the things that really stood out to me, aside from the power of it on the takeoff, um, in the sim when you move the wings, you, you don't get any real feedback from that. You just see the gauge move uh, down by your left knee to show you where the, uh, the wings are indicated. In the aircraft, there is a big clunk every time yeah. the wings move yeah. and that was a bit of a shocker actually because mm -hmm. initially as you take off you're in 25 wing when you get to a certain speed you then bring them back and that initial uh, that initial clunk through the aircraft actually made me wonder if something was wrong with the aircraft mm -hmm. but the pilot in the back seat assured me that 
that was purely normal for tornado, <laughs> yeah. and I'd get used to it, which I did. Mm -hmm. So did you, in your first flight, did you fly a clean wing jet, or was it always tanked up? Always tanked up, mm -hmm. um, so just because of, I think, the, uh, the burden on the engineers by taking tanks off and putting it back on. Generally, in fact, through my whole time on Tornado, we would only fly a clean jet if we were practicing specifically BFM, okay. which I did only a couple of times on the front line. Um, yeah, so that was pretty much it. But on the OCU, tanks were always on. Mm -hmm. So what would you say the strengths and weaknesses of the GR4 uh, were? The strengths are, um, it, was, um, it was operated very effectively and it was upgraded such that as a weapons platform, really, really effective and great for what it was being used for and the sort of operations that it's been used for. Mm. Um, the weaknesses of it um, progressing through, um, fairly underpowered as an aircraft, so at low level it's great, that's what it was designed for, but um, up in sort of above 20,000 feet, especially when you've got a full yeah. weapons load on, full fuel load with the big tanks as well, because obviously it can take small jugs or, or big jugs. Uh, so when it was fully loaded up, it would really struggle up above 20,000 feet. Um, so yeah, sort of underpowered, I would say, was was the biggest mm -hmm. issue uh, with the GR4. I heard it couldn't go actually supersonic when it was all, you know, weaponed up and tanked up. Was that true? Or? I would not know about that. I never tried it, but that wouldn't surprise me. I only mm -hmm. ever actually went supersonic once in a GR4, and that was a clean jet I was taking from Marham up to Leeming, uh, where they were being taken apart at the mm -hmm. time, and mm -hmm. that was at low level. Um, so uh, I, I can't say for sure whether that's true, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So what kind of weapons could the GR4 carry at in the time you flew it? At uh, the time I flew it, so uh, we had quite a, a number of them actually. So in terms of missiles, uh, it had Alarm, Azram, uh, and then DMS Brimstone mm -hmm. in the air-to-ground role and also Legacy Brimstone. And in terms of weapons, uh, a large number of weapons actually. It's in fact, one of the strengths of the GR4 is the weapons mm -hmm. it could carry. So we had Paveway 4, EP2, uh, Enhanced uh, Paveway 2, sorry, uh, and then in uh, EP3s as well. And I'm just trying to think. Oh, we were still we were still training for dumb weaponry as well. So no, necessary. <laughs> yeah, on the ACU we trained wow. dumb weaponry. So retard and free fall bombs, so still lofting them yeah. or dropping them just in a, a level pass at low level. So a number of different bombs actually. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy working with the NAV? I did. It's um, It's actually really quite nice a lot of the time, aside from uh, op operating the aircraft, it's quite nice if you're a singleton, you're off a uh, low level or something, having somebody to chat to <laughs> as you're going along. And especially actually on the operations because mm -hmm. a lot of the flights were quite long. So it's nice to have somebody to chat to. But in terms of operating the aircraft, um, it was quite a, quite a satisfying experience to be able to focus on your job in the front, know that they were focusing on theirs, and then only interacting really when you had to. So the sign of a good, uh, good relationship and good crew cooperation was when you watch the tape back, actually there was minimal conversation going on between the two. Pilot just saying what he needed to say, Nav doing the same, and then uh, it all happening uh, as it needs to. Did you fly the GR4 in combat? Yes, I did uh, a couple of um, different operations, and uh, that's how come I know it was really nice to be able to, a lot of the time we would work in constituted crews, so you'd build up a really good working relationship mm -hmm. with your navigator. Um, and that was uh, that was really nice actually. Mm -hmm. So how long did you spend on Tornado and how many hours did you get on it? I spent just over two and a half years and I got uh, about 750 hours on the g so not too bad. Yeah.
Then you mentioned earlier that you moved on to the Typhoon. Can you tell us, did you ask for this transfer or was it just built in, that's where you were going? Uh, so at the time there were a few crossovers from Tornado to Typhoon but not, not a large number. So um, I actually went via the Typhoon Sim so it was one of the routes okay. that was available at the time. Uh, so I spent about seven months working the Typhoon Sim instructing in that which I know sounds a little strange but <laughs> you could go through yeah. do the ground school of the Typhoon and then instruct on the Typhoon Sim just the emergency sim side of things obviously not the operating side of things because I had no knowledge of that mm -hmm. as a mud mover. But it did give me a good opportunity to speak to the other guys who worked in the sim who a lot of which were air defence background and have a bit of a play in the jet myself such that when I came to then start the Typhoon ICU I had a bit more of an idea about air defence and also working the radar. Mm -hmm. So what were your actual first thoughts of the Typhoon? Everyone says it's absolutely magnificent but what were your first thoughts? Yeah uh, it is a fantastic aircraft absolutely um, the performance of it is staggering, especially I think going from a GR4, because in, in some ways, if you go straight through to Typhoon, and I saw this with some of the uh, ab initios, <laughs> who would complain sometimes about its performance really up high, I'd kind of turn around to them and say, well, you don't really know you're born because GR4 can't do any of that <laughs> yeah. up there. Uh, but the, the performance of it, the kick you get at takeoff, the um, carefree handling of it as well, and the the manoeuvres and the manoeuvrability of it is really staggering. So can you tell us about your first performance takeoff in the Typhoon? What was that like? Yeah, so uh, performance takeoff was and is actually every time you do it a lot of fun. So obviously you go to full reheat, which you don't ordinarily do for a Typhoon takeoff. We normally just take off in max drive. Is it because it doesn't need it essentially? It doesn't need, yeah. it doesn't need the power. Mm -hmm. So to save the, um, save the eardrums of the locals, we only generally take off in dry power for mm -hmm. a normal takeoff. But you need to the power for a performance takeoff. Mm -hmm. So to start with, the kick you get and the acceleration is a lot greater than you're used to. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's impressive. And then when you pick the nose up and then you just keep raising the nose, um, yeah, that's very impressive. And you're accelerating the whole way as well until you get right nose up and then you're just climbing away and leaving the airfield mm -hmm. directly below you. Is it true that I can actually uh, go supersonic in a, in a climb? It can very easily go supersonic. If you're in reheat, mm -hmm. the jet will very easily go supersonic in in a fairly nose-up climb, actually. So can you tell us some about uh, some of your flying training you conduct on the, on the Typhoon? Yeah, so Typhoon OCU, which is down at Coningsby, um, as, a, as a retread, you don't go through a shortened course at all. You just do the normal OCU that the ab initios would do. So the difference between that and the um, Tornado OCU, obviously, lot more air-to-air -air focused, a yep. lot more uh, BFM focused as well. So that was really nice from my point of view because I spent three years on the GR4, kind of felt like I'd done the uh, ground attack um, side of jet flying and it was nice to come onto something different and uh, find out what it's like in the air defence world. So did you ever conduct DACT uh, in the Typhoon and how did it fare against you know the F-16s, the F-15s, um, yep. stuff like that? So I, I fought a couple of different jets, uh, DACT, so Couple of different marks of F-16, uh, MiG-29 actually down in Bulgaria. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was how did you fun. fare against that? That was cool. That was very cool actually. Mm -hmm. That was good. So did you ever go up against the F-15s at Lakenheath, and how did they do with so? so I didn't get to uh, do any DACT with an F-15 myself, but I know a number of pilots that have, and it fares very well against the F-15. Um, I think if you had a particularly wily F-15 pilot uh, and the Typhoon guy wasn't on his game. Uh, potentially the F-15 would do okay, but 
generally the Typhoon did very well against the F-15. So did you ever fly on any large exercises like Red Flag in the Typhoon? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to do a couple of big exercises. So Red Flag in 2016, which was fantastic training, really the, the highest end training you can do, especially in the air defence side of things. Uh, and also um, out in Abu Dhabi, an ATLC, so sort of equivalent uh, sort of exercise. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really good training and really mm -hmm. nice to be involved in such a big exercise with that many jets airborne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. How do the Americans view the Typhoon and the RAF itself when you're up in Red Flag? So clearly one of the focuses of something like a Red Flag, aside from putting our own performance in, is the interoperability with uh, other allies as well and, and getting that um, getting that effective and as efficient as we can. Mm. And certainly um, we should be able to, and Red Flag enables this, to slot into a big American package, yeah. be that with fighter support, tankers, the E3s, any of the logistics. So I think we've got a good reputation with the Americans and certainly the Red Flag that I was on, we were getting some great feedback and the social's great as well. So you get to go and meet the other crews, have a chat mm -hmm. about them. And, and really find out what they're up to, how they're doing things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we've got a good reputation with the Americans. So can you talk us through the cockpit of the Typhoon? Um, is it a modern cockpit? So <laughs> it's more modern than Tornado, yeah. but it's certainly not as swept up as something like an F-35. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess by modern standards, you would call it uh, a legacy cockpit, mm -hmm. but going to it from the GR4, I certainly thought it was great. I mm -hmm. appreciated the fact it was more modern. Mm -hmm. Uh, but effectively, just to describe it, you've got um, obviously standard setup, throttle, stick in the middle, three um, screens yep. which you can choose what you want on each of the displays. But traditionally, we'd have sort of radar on the left, moving back in the middle, and then your miscellaneous screen on the right, really, so you can check your fuel yep. or bring up your hides or weapon systems or any of that sort of thing. You've got a nice big wide angle hub directly in front of you. Um, which is a big change to uh, the Tornado, actually, because that's quite, yeah. quite a small one. Uh, but obviously, the big thing about uh, Typhoon is you've got the uh, helmet-mounted sight. So when you've got that on, uh, you don't really need the HUD anyway, because you can look anywhere, and you've got your, mm -hmm. your HUD symbology just right there in front of you. And so, uh, In terms of flying it, it's a nice big cockpit, very comfortable. Um, and you've got a few switches around you, not quite as many as, uh, as in the Tornado. But mm -hmm. Really, you just turn those on at the beginning of the flight, turn them off at the end. You're not really um, you're not really touching those throughout the rest of the flight. It's all HOTAS system. Yeah, so it's quite user-friendly then. Yeah, very user-friendly. Yeah. So Will, do you have any memorable stories you can share with us while flying the Typhoon? Uh, probably my most memorable uh, flight was my first red flag mission. So it's, um, it's obviously a, a, big, uh, a big package of aircraft and you look down the line and there's all the American aircraft getting ready. We had some Australians there as well. Um, so just so many different aircraft all around. Um, to make sure everyone gets airborne on time, you have your taxi time as well. You can see all these jets getting airborne in front of you. And it's just a, a real feeling that you're playing in the big leagues at that yeah. point. Because ordinarily back at home, getting airborne is a four ship. You might get airborne with two four ships if you're lucky. And there was like tens of aircraft all getting airborne at the same time all high-end aircraft and all the pilots and everybody at the top of their game on the, the most important, biggest LFE that you're going to do in NATO. Uh, that was a very memorable experience the first time I did that. Yeah, I can imagine that was a sight to see, just all them aircraft, different types, yeah, Hornets, F-15s and stuff like that. How many hours did you get on Typhoon and how many years did you spend on it? So I spent just under 
just under three years on the front line. Then I did a, about 18 months of instructor on the OCU at Coningsby. And all of that combined, I got just over 700 hours on the target.